Good morning. Isn't it good to hear a little bit of Pink Floyd on a Sunday morning? Anybody like that besides me? Uh, welcome to River Rock Bible Church. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, we are starting a brand new initiative, a brand new series called Life Unlimited. And if this is your first time at, at the church or first time in a long time, you can be really excited because we're talking about money. That's about the response I expected, right? We're talking about money today, but men, you can release your G.I. Joe Kung Fu grip that you just put on your wallet. Ladies, you can relax that bear hug that you just put around your purse because we're not talking about the church's money. We're not talking about what we need or, or trying to get money from you at all. This morning, we're talking about your money, right? We're talking about your money, and we're going to be looking at what the Bible says about your money and how to management. This is a process that the elders began uh, back in October of 2014, and really before that, we started praying about, hey, how do we help the people of River Rock Bible Church um, use their money in a way that honors God and help them? I mean, how many of us, uh, I know I've got debt, you know, student loans, a little bit of credit card debt. Man, how awesome would it be if all of our people were financially free um, to follow the Lord wherever He's calling them to go and to whatever He's calling them to do? And so, we started this process, and we've been praying about it for a long time, and so we're excited to be starting this initiative this morning, and so we are going to talk about money, but again, we're not talking about um, the church's money or what we need from you. This is not some thinly veiled plea for you to give more to the church or anything like that. Uh, we just really feel like this is something that as followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to look into Scripture and say, hey, the Scripture is our number one authority in our life, that we ought to look at what the Bible has to say about money. And really, there are over 800 verses in the Bible about money, debt, and wealth, gaining wealth, right? Did you, did you realize that it talks about it that often? It's that important. And so if, if I'm going to be a biblical pastor, what's the name of this church again? River Rock? Bible church, right? So that means everything that we talk about, everything that we encourage you to do comes directly from Scripture, right? We try to encourage you according to God's Word. And I wouldn't be doing my job as a pastor, especially as a pastor of a Bible church, if we didn't at some point come to this topic and talk about it. Um, So we're going to look at that. But again, 800 passages on money and debt and wealth. And get this, Jesus, some of you may know this already, but Jesus talks more about money than he does heaven and hell combined. Jesus talks more about money and stuff more than he talks about salvation itself. So this must be a very important topic for us as followers of Jesus Christ to understand. In fact, I honestly believe that this is a matter of slavery versus freedom. And Jesus said it this way. Jesus said, you will either serve one of two masters. You will either serve God or you will serve money. The word that appears there in the Greek, some translations even carried over in the English, is mammon. Right? It just means stuff, material stuff, money. And so we're going to serve one of two gods. We're either going to serve the one true God or we're going to serve the God of stuff and the God of money. And so I just want to ask you this morning, man... I encourage you to ask yourself, am I serving the one true God? Am I serving the one true God? Um, So we see that that money is talked about all throughout Scripture. And here's the first thing that we have to understand is that money management is a spiritual issue. Money management is an intensely spiritual issue. It it goes beyond uh, just your job or whether you're salaried 
or your hourly or there's benefits. It goes way beyond that. It's not just something secular that we have to deal with that's a part of life, but money is an intensely spiritual issue. And here's one of the things that, that I think reveals that is the fact that anytime money is talked about in the church, people get tense, right? It's a spiritual issue. It's a spiritual issue. I, I just celebrated my 34th birthday on Friday. Um, I've been a believer, now follower of Jesus Christ for 27 years. And something that, that's happened for me all throughout my life is that from time to time, I've had men that I sit down with on a regular basis, and they ask me the tough questions, and I ask them to, the tough questions like, hey, are, are you reading your Bible? Are you spending time in prayer, right? We call that accountability. It's something we talked about last week with the story of David and Nathan, how Nathan comes to David and he, he sees a flaw in him. And as, ironing sharpens, as iron sharpens iron, right, like the Proverbs tells us to do, Nathan says, hey, I'm not going to let you just slide on this. I, God has something more for you. I'm going to point this out to you, and it's going to hurt a little bit, but I want to challenge you in this area. And so as followers of Jesus Christ, we're called to challenge one another in certain areas. And so, men, uh, if you have lunch with me, it's not uncommon to get the question, hey, how's your marriage? Are you serving your wife? Are you loving your wife in a way that honors God? Right? We have those kinds of conversations in our small groups, in our community groups. Um, it, it's not uncommon to ask each other, are you getting in the Word? Are you praying? If you're single, hey, are you, are you honoring God with your sexuality, the way you handle that, right? Men, it's not uncommon for us to get together and say, man, how are you doing with what you put before your eyes? You honoring God with what goes across your computer screen. And we ask those very intense, deep, personal questions because the answer to those have a lot to do with our spiritual walk and our obedience to Jesus Christ, Right? And so we, we have no problem asking those questions. But let me tell you this. In 27 years of following Jesus Christ, not once have I ever had a man pull up across the table and say, are you honoring God with your finances? How are you doing at managing the money that God has given you? Not a single time. Not a single time has that happened. And let me just say this. I think that needs to change. I think that needs to change. And it needs to change today, starting here that we would be willing to love each other enough, to care about each other enough, that we'd be willing to have those difficult conversations. And I'm not saying we've got to get into how much you make and how much you give or anything like that, but just, hey, let me ask you, are, as you pray about stuff, are you honoring God with your money? And only you can answer that question, right? Nobody can even look at your checkbook and tell you the answer to that. That's between you and God. But, but I think we can start the dialogue. We can start doing something because we have a huge vision at River Rock Bible Church for every man, woman, and child to experience the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. And when we're burdened by finances and and we have an opportunity to go somewhere and we say, hey, I want to go, but I can't because I got to work or I I can't afford to go. We feel like that that hinders what we want to do. Imagine with me just for a second. Imagine what you could do personally in your own life and in the people around you, in your neighborhood, at your school, if you had no debt. You heard about the neighbor who maybe needed a little help financially and you were able to go go to them and say, man, I just want to bless you with this. I don't have any debt. I'm able to do this. I want to bless you. Or if God said, hey, I want you to go on this trip and you were able to go because you're financially free. You're not tied to a job 
because you have to stay and work. Imagine what we could accomplish. Imagine what God's people can, could accomplish. And I, let's take it one step thirty further. Okay? Think about yourself as an individual. What could you do if you were financially free? Think about this church, just this church. Not the biggest church in Georgetown, but think about what we could all accomplish together if we were financially free. Now think about this. Think about what could change in our city if every single follower of Jesus Christ were debt-free. That's a game changer. There'd be no need for orphanages, food pantries, shelters, anything like that. We'd be able to meet every single one of those needs. Now think about every believer in the world. How would that change? How would that change the way that people view the church of Jesus Christ? And again, this is, this is a, an intensely spiritual issue. Because I realize that right now, even as I'm saying some of this, that, that some of you out there are thinking, what business does the pastor have talking to me about my money? Let's just be honest. There are some people out there that are thinking that. There are some people right now who are angry that we're even talking about this. There are people who are upset that, how dare you? And believe me, I, I've only been a pastor for a few years, lead pastor, but I've gotten enough of those emails and had those conversations of, hey, you don't, you don't need to be telling people how to spend their money. Just, just preach Jesus and everything will work, work out okay. But no, this is a spiritual issue, 800 verses. Jesus talks about it more than heaven and hell combined. This is something that if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ, if we're going to be committed to living our lives according to the authority of Scripture, We've got to talk about it. We've got to talk about honoring God with every single area of our life, and that includes our finances. If we're truly going to honor God, then here's what we need to do. Right here is a checkbook. Anybody ever seen one of these? Some of you, this is the first time you've ever seen one. Um, I do most of the banking online. I do, uh, some of you may use the app on your phone, and so you don't use this very often. Often you use your debit card. Um, but whatever it is, whether it's your checkbook or, and if, you know, I got to be honest, I didn't know where it was in our house. My wife is the one who writes the checks. I pay everything online. So I had to ask where it was. But if we're going to be followers of Jesus Christ and live our lives according to the word, then there ought to be points in our, in our week, in our month, in our year where we sit down and we put the word of God next to our checkbook. And we look into our checkbook and say, okay, does this right here reflect what I find in God's word? Does what shows up on my bank statement reflect and, and does it mesh with what God's word has to say about how money ought to be managed? Right? And that's, that, again, that's something for you to do. And let me just say this. Uh, I know some people out there think that, you know, this is just a thinly veiled plea for, for more money to be given to the church. And that's not it at all. This is about you and your finances and you personally honoring God. And let me say this, that here at River Rock Bible Church, um, your elders never look at what you give. I've never looked to see who gives what. I don't know. Our elders don't know. Other than the brief seconds where they're inputting the bank deposit and that's going in electronically, nobody knows. We don't keep track of that. That's between you and God. Here's, Here's what we ask at River Rock Bible Church, that if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that you would pray and ask God, God, what should I give? And whatever he lays on your heart to give, that you would give that. That's it. That's all we ask. No, no percentage, no dollar amount, nothing. And that's completely between you and the Lord. Right? So 
before we jump in this morning, before we jump in this morning, I, I just want to stop and take some time to pray because this is a spiritual issue, and, and I believe that some of us may be experiencing some pushback on this. Like, we don't want to talk about it, but we need to. And maybe some of us, we just have other things on our mind. We're already thinking about what we've got to do when we get home, um, if the Broncos are going to win or not. We're thinking about, you know, what am I going to eat? And, and I don't want anything to distract us from this discussion this morning. So let's just pray before we jump in. God, we come to you this morning, and we just ask that you would allow us to focus completely on you for these next few moments, um, Lord, that we would hear from you. Lord, I pray if there's anything in our lives that we need to change, that we'd be willing to offer that up to you, that you would uh, remove any barriers to our obedience. God, that we would just learn how to honor you as individuals with our money. pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we're just going to look at three general principles of money management. And the first one is this, that money is a powerful force. Money is a powerful force, and we absolutely have to recognize the power of money in our lives. And I think most of us do from an early age. We recognize uh, how powerful money actually is. I had someone after the first service say, you know, hey, I started thinking about just money and, and how much of my life it impacts he said, I really, I can't think of one area of my life that money doesn't have some sort of impact. I mean, it, it determines where you live, what kind of car you drive. It determines a, a lot of things in our lives. It's, it's a powerful, powerful force. Um, but we also have to recognize that often this idea, this truth that money is powerful can be taken to extremes. There's two uh, really negative extremes that I want us to, to focus on this morning real quick. And the first is this, that if you have money, it's because you've pleased God. And if you don't have money, it's because you've displeased God. Has anybody ever heard that? Maybe you turn on TV late at night, you hear that from, from the preacher, that if you would just give more to God, that he would bless you and you'd have more. And if you don't have more, it's because you're not giving more to God. And that's just baloney. Can we just call it like it is? Right? That's baloney. And here's what Jesus said about it. In Matthew chapter 19, verse 23, Jesus says, I assure you, it will be hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, if this were true, if it were true that God blesses people uh, with more money that please him, why would Jesus say that it's hard for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven? Those two just don't jive. They don't, they don't make sense together. But let's also be careful to not say this. We can't say that if just because you have money, that you're a bad person, right? We don't want to go that, that extreme either. God blesses some people with more. He blesses others with less. And it's not a sign of God's pleasure or displeasure with you. Um, sometimes we act, though, like this is true. Sometimes we act like this is reality in, in our lives, right? And we see this a lot. There are churches around that you see where someone who has a lot of money, their vote may be counts a little bit more. Maybe they get to be a little bit more vocal about what happens, right? And, and we see that all the time. And honestly, this is nothing new. James chapter 2, they're facing the same problem in the very first century church, and this is what it says. Indeed, if you keep the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. 
But if you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. See, in the, in the early church, there were people that were showing up. Everybody knew they had lots of money, and so they would be ushered in. They would be given the nice, comfortable seats down front. Um, at our days, it would be like, hey, we reserved you the back row, um, the very back row, right? That's the seat everybody wants. But, but they were getting preferential treatment just because they had money. Just because they had money. And, and like, as I said earlier, you know, the elders of River Rock Bible Church are committed to making sure that, that when we vote on something, when we take something into consideration, that how much someone gives or doesn't give does not even factor into the equation. Right? We ask, God, is this what you want us to do? And if the answer is yes, then we do it. If the answer is no, then we don't do it. We don't look and say, oh, well, Bill gave a really big gift last week. And we know that he's against this, so maybe we shouldn't do it. No. Like I said, we don't keep track of who gives what. Nobody ever looks at that. We don't look at that, right? Because we want to be sure that when we're listening to God, that we're hearing from him and not allowing our, our fallen nature come in and kind of persuade us because, you know, so-and-so gave a big amount, right? We better do what he wants or else he may not give that amount anymore. No, that's not the way it works. That's not what God calls us to do. So we've got to be careful that, that we don't fall into that trap. The second extreme that we see is this, that some people say that money is evil. And money is evil. How many of you have ever heard that? Money is evil. Well, that's, that's not exactly what Scripture says, right? Scripture tells us in 1 Timothy 6.10, the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains, right? Money itself is not good or evil. This morning, I was on my way to church and uh, walking with the kids, and I came across this brick. I live in a construction zone. There's lots of new houses going up. I borrowed this. I'll take it back after service, I promise. But I borrowed this from one of the houses, and I started talking to the kids, and I asked them, I said, is this brick good or bad? Is it good or bad? What do you say? Somebody. Depends on how you use it. That's exactly right. And so I talked to my kids. You know, at first they said, oh, it's good. And then I said, well, what if I threw it at someone's head? Well, then it's bad. And I said, well, what if I built something out of it? Well, then it's good, right? So, so I can take this brick and I can throw it at someone. And that's bad, right? Yes, the answer is yes. That is, that is bad if you throw a brick at someone. Um, if you throw a brick at someone's car at, at the window, it's a bad thing. But you can also take this very same brick and you can mix up some mortar and you can start laying that brick. You can build a house. You could build a church. Hey, no more set up and tear down. Woohoo! Right? You could, you could build a hospital and help people. You could build a halfway house and help people who are coming out of rehab regain control of their lives. You can do good or bad. And let's be honest, the brick doesn't care. The brick doesn't care if it's used for something good or bad. And money is the exact same way. Money is what we call amoral, right? It has no moral. It does not care. What we find with money and things like the brick is that it all depends on who holds it. If someone evil holds the brick, they're going to do something evil with it. If somebody good holds the brick, they're going to do something good with it. And it's the same with money. You have someone who's, who's got a pile of money and they're a jerk, guess what? They're going to have bigger and bolder opportunities to be a jerk with all that money. But you give that same pile of money to someone who's a godly person, who's following the Lord, who's honoring God with the way they manage their money, 
guess what? They're going to have bigger and bolder opportunities to honor God with the way they spend their money. Money itself is not evil. Uh, but here's what it does. It's, it's a magnifier, right? It magnifies who we really are. And it gives us a glimpse. It's about the condition of the heart of the person who holds it. Not about the money itself. So first principle is that money is a powerful force. And the second thing that I want us to see is that money expands and limits our options. Proverbs 22.7 says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is a slave to the lender. Did you hear that? The borrower is a slave to the lender. Think about this. How many choices does a slave have? A slave has no choices. They don't get to decide when they come and go. They can't come and go as they please. They can't give anything because they don't own anything. It all belongs to their master. A slave has no choices. And uh, some of us, our master has become Visa. For some of us, our master has become MasterCard. For some of us, our master is Sally Mae or Fannie Mae or Mama Mae. Right? Anybody ever borrow money from mom and dad? I'm guilty. And, and here's the thing is that that, that slave-master relationship changes, uh, changes your options. It, it either expands or limits what you're able to do. Here's a couple stats on borrowing money from family uh, and friends. Bankrate.com says this, 57% of those polled have seen a friendship or relationship end because of loaning money. They've seen a friendship or relationship end, completely end, because one person borrowed money from the other. 63% of people have seen someone skip out on repaying a friend or family member. Anybody ever been left holding that bag? I know I have. Right? It changes the relationship. It completely changes the relationship. And all of a sudden, if you've borrowed money from someone, and let's say, hey, man, I, I got a nice... Uh, bonus or I got a nice raise, I think I'll go out and get a new pair of shoes. And then you're afraid to wear those shoes around the person that lent you the money in the first place because they may wonder, hey, you had money for the shoes, but you couldn't pay me back, right? You're, you're a slave to the lender. And if you're borrowing money from family, man, Thanksgiving, that meal does not taste the same when you're sitting next to your master, does it? It changes the relationship. It completely changes the relationship. When you're a slave, you just don't have the options. You don't have the choices. And I can speak to this from my own personal experience. Amanda and I, we've we've never been one to grab a credit card and go out and just buy stuff. Um, But we sure did rack up a nice amount of student loans. And as we got into ministry and we felt at one point God was calling us to do something. There was a mission trip that we felt like God wanted us to be a part of. And our, our only response was, God, we can't afford to do that. We're too far in debt. When God called us to plant a church, we struggled with whether or not God was really calling us to plant this church or not because to move, to leave the job where I was meant taking a significant pay cut. And our immediate thought was, God, we can't, we can't afford to do that. We just can't afford it because we have so much debt. And, and I really feel like as followers of Jesus Christ, when our first response to, hey, there's a mission trip coming up, we want you to go with us to Haiti this summer. Or, hey, these kids are going off to boot camp, we need a couple scholarships for some of the kids that are going to Backyard Bible Club boot camp. 
or, you know, whatever it may be. If our first response is, I can't because I owe, because I'm too far in debt, because I can't afford it, then our, we're, we're not focused on the one true God. We're focused on money, right? And it's our vision that, that we would be able to be focused on the one true God. Our, our only question when we're provided an opportunity to do something or to give something or to go somewhere or to help someone, as followers of Jesus Christ, we should ask two questions. Is this from the Lord? And God, do you want me to be a part of it? Right? We ask those two questions. And that's all. But when we're a slave, we have to ask different kinds of questions. So we don't want to be enslaved. We don't want to be constrained by anything. And here's principle number three. Principle number three is that money must be managed. Money must be managed. There's a buzzword that's going around churches right now, and that word is stewardship. Anybody ever heard that word, stewardship? Now, when most of us hear the word stewardship, we think, oh, they're going to raise money for a building, or the church wants me to give more, or here comes the offering, right? We think that it's about the money giving, but when we look at Scripture, the word stewardship really just means manager. To be a steward is to be a manager. Jesus tells the parable of, the shrewd money manager who leaves his servants. He leaves each one of them a different amount of money. And he goes away and he comes back. And he says, hey, give me an account of what you did with my money. How did you manage the money that I gave you? Right? And, and that's a parable that Jesus is telling to talk about, hey, when Jesus comes, when we stand before God, God's going to ask us the question, what did you do with what I gave you? And I'm going to get on my soapbox here for a little bit, so excuse me, but this goes way beyond money. This is way beyond money. When we talk about stewardship, we're talking about our entire lives, everything that God has given us. It includes our money, but it also includes our time. How do we spend our time? It includes the gifts and abilities and talents that God has given us. Are you using those in a way that honors God? Are you saying, man, I I can't serve on Sunday morning, it's my only time off, I'm just too tired? I don't really want to do it. We'll let somebody else do it. Or are you managing your gifts and abilities and talents and time well? What about, this is the one that gets me, your testimony. The story of how you came to put your trust in Jesus Christ. Are you managing that? I mean, you, you have a beautiful story that God has given you to share with others that can lead them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Are you managing that well? When's the last time you shared your story of, of hey, I, I, I came to a point in my life where I realized I was separated by God because of my sin. But I knew that Jesus died on the cross for my sins, and so I put my trust in him. And man, here's how my life has changed. When's the last time you had that conversation with someone? Are you managing everything that God has given you well in a way that honors him? Not just your money, but your time, your talents, your treasures, your abilities, how are you doing at managing? Money must be managed. The Bible has some things to say about managing money real quickly. One is that God requires us to manage what we have. God doesn't require that you manage what you don't have. You make 35K, manage that 35K in a way that honors God. You make 350K, manage 350K in a way that honors God. Proverbs 27, 23 says, Know well the condition of your flock and pay attention to your herds. If you're an accountant, you love this verse. Like if you're a math nerd that just likes money and counting and numbers and stuff like that, this is your verse right here. Know what you got and manage it. 
Know what you got and manage it. That's all, that's all we're called to do. I'm not responsible for managing somebody else's money. I'm not responsible for whatever God gives someone else. I'm responsible for what God gives me. So I must manage it in a way that honors him. Second thing that we see under managing money in, this, in Scripture is that money management requires a plan. Luke 14, 28 through 30, Jesus says, For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, The man started to build but wasn't able to finish. Right? So we have to have a plan for our money. Success doesn't just happen. Right? We can put this out there. God is ultimately in control. Okay? So if you bought one of those $1.6 million Powerball tickets, God is in control. And if he wanted you to win, you would have won. I didn't. Right? I didn't win. Uh, but if he wanted you to, you could have won. But what we see throughout Scripture is that it takes a plan. It takes faithfulness in following the Lord to be successful in your finances. Right? And, and so we've got to have a plan for our money. And there's a word for that. Does anybody know what that word is? Budget. Yeah. I heard somebody whisper it. Budget. That word is budget. We've got to sit down and we've got to tell our money where to go instead of wondering where it went. We've got to have a plan. The next thing we see in Scripture is that, the wise, that wise people save money. Proverbs 21.20 Precious treasure and oil are in the dwelling of a wise person, but a foolish man consumes them. Here's what that means in plain English. If you spend everything that you make, you're a fool. Don't get mad at me. I didn't say it. I, I, I said it, but I didn't write it. This is coming straight from the Bible. If you spend everything you make, then you're a fool. Here's the reality. In America, on average, people spend $1.22 for every dollar they make. So not only are they spending everything they make, they're spending more than they make. And I'm no math whiz, but I know that eventually that does not work out well. I know that that doesn't end well, to spend more than you make. The last thing we see here is that building wealth takes time and discipline. As we said earlier, there's nothing wrong with building wealth, with having wealth. In fact, Scripture says that you're to leave an inheritance. The wise person leaves an inheritance not only to their children, but to their children's children. Most of us are just trying to think, how am I going to be able to not work until I'm 90? And we're struggling to get that far. But think about living till you're 100 and then leaving money not just to your kids, but to your kids' kids, right? That takes a considerable, considerable amount of wealth, but wealth is not something we just go out and we get. This is what Proverbs twenty-eight twenty says, a faithful man will have many blessings, but one in a hurry to get rich will not go unpunished. There are no such things as get-rich-quick schemes, right? They don't work. And some of you know that because you bought the books, some of you know that because you actually went to the seminars, right? And somebody else got rich quick off of your money. There's no way to get rich quick, but we can build wealth faithfully. We build it in a way that honors God. So where does that leave us? Our money must be managed. This is an intensely spiritual issue. It, it affects almost every area of our life. And here's where, what we've come to as a church, that we want to do Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University. For the next nine weeks together, we're going to have these conversations. We're going to go through this together uh, as a church in our small groups. And your elders believe in this so much that what we've said is that if you will attend eight out of the nine weeks of Dave Ramsey's FPU, 
we will give you your $93 back. The $93 you invest in the curriculum, we will give it back to you. If you come to us and say, hey, I tried it, I did it, it didn't work. We'll give you your money back. We believe in it that much. And this has nothing to do with us as a church. It has everything with you being able to be free to go and do whatever God calls you to do. To have your financial house in order. And I realize that there are some people out there, man, you're still upset. You, you don't like Dave Ramsey. I've had a couple of those conversations of, I just can't stand Dave Ramsey. Others of you love Dave Ramsey. And here's what I would say. We as an elder board prayed about what is the best tool to help us have the conversation about what the Bible has to say about money management. And as we searched, we found, and and Dave Ramsey's financial piece um, was the best tool that we could find. And so we adopted that. Let me say this. You're not going to agree with 100% of what Dave Ramsey says. I don't agree with 100% of what Dave Ramsey says. But it's the best tool that we have to use as a church. And it's our prayer that, that we would begin to change the conversation. And we want it to change because we want to see more and more and more people reached for Jesus Christ. And I'll say this, whether, whether you end up here at River Rock Bible Church and this is your home, God says, hey, this is, I want you to make this your church home, or whether you go somewhere else, some other church in this city, I don't care, but when you're there, you ought to be all in. You ought to be all in. You ought to, you ought to be there serving, giving, and, and sharing your talents, doing all those things. This has nothing to do with this church. It has everything to do with your obedience to the Lord. Average family that completes FPU, 90 days, they pay off $5,700 in debt and they save about $2,300, right? That's an $8,000 turnaround in nine weeks. What could your family do with that kind of turnaround? What could you do for someone else in your neighborhood, in your community, in this city? with that kind of turnaround. God's desire is for us to be free. He wants us to live a life that is unlimited. This morning, as we close, come to a time called Take Two. And this is just an opportunity for you to to ask God, God, what are you saying to me right now? And I'd encourage you, if you have not signed up for financial peace, um, we've got about 80 people, 79 people as of yesterday have signed up for FPU. We would love to see even more people sign up this morning. You can write that on your connection card or email Stephen. Uh, We have groups meeting almost every night of the week. I think Friday is the only night that we don't have a group meeting. Um, We've got three groups that are meeting or two groups, three groups that are meeting this afternoon and this evening. So there's still time for you to get in and get in the game and join the conversation. And you may be one of those people that says, man, I just, I don't like Dave Ramsey. I don't want to be a part of this. I don't want to have that conversation. But really, I'd encourage you to to really pray about that and ask God if if this is what he wants for you and your family. Because we want to be using a common language as a church when we talk about honoring God with every area of our lives. And as we disciple other people, we want to have a common language that we can use. And this is one way to do that. So as we move into our take two time, just take a second, ask God, God, um, I haven't signed up for FPU. Is it your will that I should go through FPU? Do you want me to go through? Or maybe there's something that, that was shared earlier as Stephen led us in worship. Maybe there's something that God, something else that God is saying to you I just encourage you to write that down at this time. And and then below that, you'll see in your bulletin, it says, I will. So whatever God is saying to you, we want you to take that next step and write down something that you're going to do about what God is saying. Let's take two.